If you'll turn with me today to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6, we will continue our uh, walk through this wonderful Gospel. Matthew chapter 6 is where we are. And as you're turning and as the children leave, I notice we have a few visitors, and I want to say thank you for being here today. We're glad that you're at Sovereign Grace. We do have a card in the back, a visitor's card in the back. If you would, please, um, just fill that out and drop it in the offering plate before you leave. We'd love to know how to get in touch with you, how to pray for you, and uh, connect you here to what's going on here at Sovereign Grace. God bless you guys. Glad that you're here. Matthew chapter 6 is where we are. If you're able to stand, let's stand in reverence for the reading of God's Word. We'll be reading from Matthew chapter 6. Beginning, I'm going to start in verse 19, even though we've covered that. We're going to focus on verses 22 through 24. But it's good to read this section all together because it ties together one theme. So Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and and money. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we thank you and praise you for your goodness. We thank you for this opportunity to be before your throne today. Your son, Jesus Christ, paid a heavy debt for us. And for that, Lord, we can never repay you. And so, God, this morning, as as we listen to the words of your Son, Jesus Christ, I pray, God, that you would speak to each and every person today who hear these words. God, whatever it is that we hold more dear than you, whatever it is that we worship and value more than the salvation possible through your Son, Jesus Christ, dear God, I pray that you would show us and convict us and love us and forgive us. Lord, uh, today we, we just plead that you would show us the true light of Christ. We're in a dark world. And this actually, this month is the darkest month of the year. <laughs> and so whenever light shines in the darkness, we see it more clearly. And so God, right now, I pray that your light, the sun that you call beloved, be the one that we see today. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please have a seat. See, God bless you guys. I find it interesting that at this time of the year, darkness comes quicker, doesn't it? How many of y'all are tired of the sun going down at 4 o'clock? Amen. But, I mean, the sun is up at a reasonable time, 6 in the morning thereabouts. I don't know. But the sun goes down quicker this time of the year. This is why we, we, we celebrate light at this time of the year at Christmas time, isn't it? The light of Christ shines brightly. We crave light because the darkness is overwhelming us. And we look forward to the day when when this time shift 
of the darkness and the less sunlight transforms to where we have more sunlight and less darkness in the spring. Can we say amen to that? I think this truth of the fact that December is one of the darkest months of the year uh, really hit home to me the other night. On Wednesday night when I was driving home following our Bible study and our prayer time, I was noticing, number one, how dark it was, but then how bright and colorful all of the Christmas lights are in people's front yard. Y'all got neighbors like that? Y'all noticing that, that, that the bright colored lights? Some people despise it. Other people love it. I, I, I'm kind of in between. I don't really mind it. Just don't ask me to do it in my yard. That's a lot of work. Um, but one of, my, one of my childhood memories is we would get in the car and drive around and look at Christmas lights. I don't know if you do that with your kids, but that, y'all do that with your kids back there? Sometimes just drive around and look at Christmas lights. Uh, we don't have much of that going on here, but last uh, Thursday and Friday I was in Kingsport uh, dealing with some things with my mother. And one of the things up in Kingsport in the Tri-Cities area, you've got Bristol Motor Speedway. Y'all ever been to the Bristol Motor Speedway? This time of the year they have uh, the Speedway and Lights where you can pay $10 a car and you know fill up your car with as many people as you want. 10 bucks a car, you get to drive on the track and they've got the whole place lit up with Christmas lights. People love, they are drawn to the lights. Even Pigeon Forge, right? They, this is their season of lights, and they'll have the Christmas lights up until February now. This is the time of year we want, we crave light. And we see the, dark, the stark contrast between the cold and dark evenings and these Christmas lights that adorn our houses and we pass by and we're drawn to them. There's something joyful in seeing Christmas lights. Amen? Would you agree? Even these candles up front, they symbolize something very profound. We are drawn to the light. On Christmas Eve here at Sovereign Grace, we are hoping and planning to still do a Christmas Eve service barring any major pandemic overtake, right? I pray that we are still all healthy and that things don't change between now and then, but that's the season we're in. But on Christmas Eve, if we still are able to do this, and you can come on Christmas Eve, we always have a candlelight service. That's a tradition in the church. It's a tradition here. Why is that so appealing? Why is that so worshipful? It's because the truth of the gospel is that we are in a dark, cold, fallen world. And boy, the light of Christ is what we crave. There's something about candlelight. There's something about the soft glow that is attractive and peeling and comforting and peaceful that we all, no matter who we are, sinners alike, still are attracted to this light. So this text here that we're looking at in Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 through 24, Jesus focuses on this idea of the eye as the lamp of the body and the lightness that fills the body. Jesus continues in his teaching here on the mountain. This is the Sermon on the Mount that we're in the middle of, and he's carrying over a theme of moderation. You remember the passage before that we read last week, verses 19 through 21, where Jesus is really driving home the point not to lay up treasures for yourself on earth, but lay up treasures in heaven, because where your heart is, that's where your treasure's going to be. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be. And the same theme flows here into verses 22 through 24. These verses drive home the point that when one's desires are in alignment with the treasures of heaven, when the treasures of heaven are the treasures that you want, 
then one's path will be lit with the beautiful light of Christ. If you are craving the treasures of heaven over the treasures of the earth, how do we find it? How do we see the treasure? How are we drawn to it? How are we led to it? It is only through the light of Christ, period, that light of Christ that is in us. When Jesus is the true light in us, then our walk is lit with his glory and his presence. Our walk is lit with the light of Christ. How many of y'all go on walks at nighttime? Does anybody go on an evening walk from time to time? This time of the year, don't you need to take a light with you if you go out in the evening, <laughs> right? Or if you go camping, if you're a camping family or a camping person, if you're ever out in the wilderness, out on the trail at nighttime, you need a light because there are no street lights. We need light to show us where to go. Without the light of Christ, where is our spiritual walk? Without the light of Christ, Where are we headed? This is what Jesus is trying to get us to see here. What do we value the most? It should be the light in us that is Christ. Let's read verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. What's Jesus saying here? The idea that Jesus relates here brings the image of a bright light it's like a, the, the, the imagery here is more than just a candle. This is a bright torch, a lantern, if you will, that, that spreads light far and wide. Imagine trying to walk somewhere and your eyes can't see where the body wants to go. If the eyes are in the dark, then the feet can't follow. You ever try to stumble around in a dark room without being able to see where you're going? Where do your feet go? They usually find some Lego toy in the floor or you stub your toe on a piece of furniture. Without the light, your eyes can't see. And without that, your feet don't don't know where to go. There's no confidence in where to step. This is where the light of Christ is important. So the idea of the eye being a light or a torch for the body is the image that Jesus is saying here. What's he pointing to? This image of the light, this eye being light, is literally the Spirit of Christ in one's heart. It's the Spirit of Christ that is the eye showing us where we need to go. This eye is the lamp of the body. Have you ever looked into people's eyes before? Have you ever seen where their eyes are dim? Have you ever seen where their eyes are are faded and, and weak? Perhaps someone is at the end of their life and you can see that the eyes are showing weakness. There's no sparkle, no twinkle there anymore. The eye shows us the soul in a way. It shows us the life in them. If someone is alive and vibrant and energetic and healthy, what do their eyes look like? They're sparkling. They're joyful. And this is what Jesus is pointing out here. The eye is the lamp of the body. And so if your eye is healthy, he says, your whole body will be full of light. We often witness the person walking down the street or the hallway. Think about this. And they're not looking where they're going. How many of y'all have been guilty of this? Walking around and not paying attention, right? Uh, Instead of focusing ahead on where they're stepping and where they're going, what are they looking at? They're staring into the screen of their smartphone. We're not focused on where we're going. We're standing here. We're walking around with our cell phone because what's on that phone is more important to us than what's in front of us. It's amazing how our, we all laugh at it, but we're all guilty of it. Their head, when someone's got their 
their head, their eyes looking at the screen, their head is looking down, their feet are obscured from view, and the person holding the phone has no focus. They'd rather see what's on that little small screen. Distraction misdirects their journey. We're all guilty of this. What is it that is the eye? What is the light in us? What is the light that is directing us? Is it the light of Christ or is it some distraction taking us down a path or blocking where the Lord is desiring us to go? What is this? Jesus is making the point here with the idea that if the eye is healthy, then the body will follow. If our eyes are focused on healthy spiritual truth, then our bodies will follow suit. There's two points here to discuss here in verse 22. A healthy Christian mind and a healthy Christian life. So what is the healthy Christian mind? I think the eye of the body... I think it's meant to, it's not only meant to imply the physical eyes, but instead I think it also indicates a healthy mind or a healthy soul. What is the light of your mind? What is the light of your soul? A healthy eye is perhaps also understood as a simple eye or a simple soul. The simplicity of vision, the simplicity of focus, that brings healthiness. If your focus and if your mind is distracted in, in many, many different directions, you could argue that that is an unhealthy place to be because you don't know where you're going. You're pulled a hundred different directions and there is no direction. There is no focus. We can glean this connection here uh, of the eye or the soul from previous verses where Jesus warned strongly here in verses 19 through 21 against the accumulation of material possessions. How much of our stuff distracts us from the truth of the gospel? And this time of year, this month, how, may, how guilty have we all been to be so pulled by the allure of marketing and advertising. Oh, I have to go fight the crowds to get that one present for this one person. And they open it up on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, and 30 minutes later, they've forgotten it. What is it that our eyes are healthy toward? Is the, is the accumulation of material possessions healthy? I think we would all agree it's not healthy. These earthly treasures are at best, they last only a few years, and then we get rid of them. Likewise, I think the souls of the faithful who focus on the simple life of the Christian life, I think they're healthier. I think they're happier. And this is why Jesus is saying here in verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Our distractions with the world and the, the allure of possessions of stuff that's an unhealthy place to be. It's, it's sad that we, we are drawn toward material objects as our focus and our attention. The simple life, I think, is the healthier life. Simplicity in Christ is a simplicity in focus. The simplicity in Christ is actually a spiritual discipline of the church to be simple in our lifestyle, to be simple in our focus, brings us a healthier spirit. What is it that we are so distracted by that the eye of our soul is dark rather than being light and bright and airy and joyful? 
I went to uh, Disney World several years ago with my kids, and I've, I've observed that in the happiest place on earth, people are so miserable. Mom and dad are yelling at the kids because they're cranky. Everybody wants to get in line for the favorite ride, but they have to wait three hours to get on the ride. And then it's hot, and they're dry, and they're thirsty, and then they're hungry, and then you got to pay $10 for a hot dog. The happiest place on earth brings the most misery. What is it that we are focused on? I think the result here of the simple focus, the healthy eye, which is the simplicity in Christ, I think this is the, the result is that the soul is not as overburdened by the treasures of this world that Jesus warns us about in verse 19. If the soul is healthy, then the soul is simple. This soul is the soul of a contented Christian who has one, whose eyes are focused on Christ alone. And if our eyes are focused on Christ alone and our mind is focused on Christ alone, nothing else matters. And we're healthier. And we're lighter. And we're joyful. And we're not stumbling in the dark. So when Jesus calls the eye the light of the body, I think he's charging us that it's not the hands or the feet or even the belly which directs our body to walk. Everybody, been, uh, everybody have those hunger pains and you pull through and you buy that cheeseburger that you're not supposed to have because your belly tells you you have to have it? Or the Taco Bell or whatever? Is your belly driving your body? Are your hands or your feet driving your body? No, it's your mind, it's your soul, it's your eyes lit in Christ. Instead, this mind or our soul inspires us to action. Do you realize that if you take a step, if you make a physical movement, what has caused that physical movement, whether you're conscious of it or not, it's what your mind is doing. Your mind thinks, I need to grab that thing, or I need to take a step, or I need to make a move. It's all actions of the body are preceded by and caused by the mind. So if the mind, or I would argue even the soul, directs our body's movement, is our soul focused on the light of Christ? Or is our soul focused on something else? The darkness of this world. So I think it's important for us to hear the words of Jesus here. Any form of greed is first a result of a dark eye. Any form of lustful action toward a person or a possession of a material object, you just crave it and you want it, that's first the result of a darkness in the eyes. What is it that causes us to want things, to do things, to be who we are? If the hands and the feet are are foolishly directed, then then we have to have a, a cause, and the blame of that cause must be upon the eyes as the passions of the mind and the heart are blinded by the darkness that possesses it, the result is going to be a misdirected, foolish direction. Because the, heart, the hands and the feet, the body, the members of the feet of the body, uh, they're blind in themselves. The hand can't do anything apart from the mind directing it. The body, uh, the feet can't take a, walk, a step or walk anywhere without the mind directing it. The members of the body are blind by nature. It requires the heart to tell us where we're going. And so God has every reason here to motivate the faithful in the proper direction. 
If the heart is in the light of Christ, then the actions themselves are going to be illuminated in the brightness of God's eternal glory. He's going to be focused upon us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen? Isn't that wonderful? If you want, if people who crave and struggle in their, in their Christian life, why am I doing these things? Why, where am I going? Where is Jesus taking me? The question here is, is Christ present in you? If he is present in you, then the lantern, that bright light of Christ, will direct our every step. We're going to be motivated to move in the proper direction because Jesus Christ is the light of the world that we think about this time of year. Don't we bring up that point that Jesus is the light of the world, right? And he calls us and he directs us in our thoughts. He directs us in our desires and then directs us in our actions. You know, as, as, as we looked at the Lord's Prayer for these last several weeks, the focus of that Lord's Prayer is a prayer directly to who? The God the Father in heaven. And as God the Father is the focus here of the Lord's Prayer, He's also the focus, I think, of the whole chapter of chapter 6. This gives us a lantern to follow. God the Father, He gives us His His light of mercy and grace. He shows us the way to go. And so, the, but the sad truth is that all all judgment, all sound decisions that we have, all think about it, all of us have uh, have judgments that we make every single day, and these judgments are corrupt and perverted by themselves. They are all of our. Judgments, all of our decisions, they're corrupt at the core because at the core of our being, we are sinful people. And the sad truth shows us how much we all need the truth. It's the light of Christ that draws us to the Father's mercy. It's the light of Christ that draws us to His forgiveness. It is the light of Christ that redirects our thoughts. And it's the light of Christ that redirects our desires that only God the Father can give us. If we want to desire anything other than this dark world. It is the authority of God Himself through His Son, Jesus Christ, that redirects those desires. If we wish to desire the Heavenly Father, that is a gift of the Heavenly Father Himself who gives us that desire. It is the light of Christ that guides our every step. It is the light of Christ that guides everything, our souls, our hearts. And if our soul is filled with the light of Christ, that's going to be an overflowing light that's going to pour out amongst everyone else that comes in contact with us. And that's going to lead the direction of where God wants us to be. Amen? So if the the eyes then are healthy, we have to ask ourselves, is that eye which is simple in faith that's going to lead to simple action? And the eye, let's look here in verse 23. We've looked at the eye which is healthy. Now let's contrast this with the eye that is bad. If the eye that is bad, what is that? Is this the eye which is not healthy? It's the eye that's corrupt. It's the, the eye that is diseased. The darkness in the eye, it's a, it's a dark body, a dark life. Let's look here at verse 23. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. You see this in verse 23? If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. This is the words of Jesus. I think what Jesus is teaching us in this statement of light, how can light be dark? I believe that, I think what 
we see here, uh, John's apostle, the, the first epistle of John, 1 John chapter 2, is going to help us see this. I believe that John's apostle, he's, he's going to help us shed some light in our direction. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. I think what the apostle John has to teach us here will help us understand this light and darkness. Beginning in verse 7, here's what the beloved disciple John tells us. He says, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So what is this darkness of the eye that Jesus is referring to? Let's take here a look here at 1 John uh, chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. When he says, At the same time it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. What is this? The truth that is in him, Christ, is the truth that is in us, his believers, his children, his faithful. And because of that, the darkness that is in this sinful heart passes away as the light of truth of Christ takes over. The light, the true light that is already shining is clearly the establishment of the kingdom of heaven that Jesus is telling us about in Matthew's gospel. When Jesus comes, he makes it clear that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So the kingdom of heaven was begun and established here on earth by the coming of Jesus Christ. It needs no more beginning. It's already here in the hearts of His faithful. That's where the kingdom of heaven resides. It's in the hearts of His faithful. Are you a faithful Christian? Are you truly born again and saved and redeemed and forgiven? Then the light of Christ is a part of you. And that kingdom is already established in you. But it's not yet complete. It's still growing. It's still expanding. It's still bringing in more to the fold of Christ. It is ever going and there will be a glorious culmination of the kingdom of heaven in the end days. But we are called as God's people to shine that light of Christ so that this dark world will see the truth of the gospel. And what John is telling us here in 1 John chapter 2, that this darkness is passing away and the true light, this kingdom of heaven established by Jesus, is already shining. It's already here. Jesus has overcome the darkness of this sinful world. Jesus has already conquered death. Jesus has already conquered the prince of darkness himself, Satan. He crushed his head. It's already taken care of. Amen? Now, continuing on here in 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. That's a very clear indicator of what 
your eyes are. Are your eyes full of Christ's light or are your eyes full of darkness? Here's a great indicator from the Apostle John. If you have hatred toward anyone, if you have hatred toward your brother in Christ or your sister in Christ, you are not in the light of Christ. You are still in the darkness. You see that? That's a pretty strong indicator. This is a poison in our soul of hatred and and covetousness, conflict, wanting what they have. They're jealous. Maybe, Maybe you're jealous of someone. That's hatred toward another. And the Apostle John makes it clear, and these, I mean, this is the truth of Jesus Christ. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother, you're lying to yourself. You're in the darkness. This is why Jesus makes the comment that the light that is in you is dark indeed. That's how light can be dark, because it's a, it's a misguided light. It is a lie that we tell ourselves. But continuing on here in 1 John chapter 2, verse 10, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him is no cause for stumbling. You see this, the imagery here of lightness and darkness? If you are in the the love of Christ and you express that same love that God gives you through the forgiveness of your sin and you give that same love to others, if you are abiding in the light of Christ, then you can't help but love everyone else. And you're going to be walking in the light and there is no cause to stumble, to stub your toe in the darkness. Because it's the light of Christ in you that's shining in your eyes that directs your every step. Now let's close out here in, in, second, in 1 John chapter 2, looking at verse 11. He says, But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Clearly when we are blinded, all we see is darkness, but at the same time, a light can also blind us too. And what I think John is is trying to get us to see here, the imagery of lightness and darkness, it is possible that there are those who have a false confession. They have a false Christianity. And they are blinded by their own lies. They think they're in the light of Christ because they have somehow saved themselves or said a certain prayer or done a certain thing. And the devil will take that misguided, I would say genuine desire to be in Christ and lead us down a dark path and make us imagine that we're actually in the light of Christ and we're not. So I think John here in his his epistle, because the theme of 1 John is really dealing with a, a split in the church where there were those in the church who departed and left, and it was... We get the impression here as you read the letter that it was a very nasty church split. You think church splits are a new 20th century thing? Uh Uh-uh. They had this stuff in the very first century. Churches were splitting all the time over silly stuff. And John's encouragement to the church was this. Those who left, those who departed, were probably never part of the church to begin with. They were not in the light. They were misguided. Their light was dark indeed. And so I think this is what he's trying to tell us here. In verse 11, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So when Jesus here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 23, we'll close with this. 
when Jesus uses the language of a light in you is darkness, it's obvious that I think he's pointing out a lie that so many Christians, so many children of God believe. I think the light of the devil himself will masquerade as the light of Christ, don't you? And instead, this light of the devil is the darkest of darks that we could ever experience. And he's really good at masquerading as something nice and good and sweet. But it is a misguided light that is really darkness. And it's going to lead us down a path of darkness. And we're not going to really clearly see where we're headed. Only the light of Christ will reveal the truth. Only the light of Christ will cause us to see where it is we're going. And the light of Christ is the light alone that causes us to see those stumbling blocks in front of us. The light of the, of the devil is a, is, is a misguided light. And those things that are stumbling blocks will actually be seen as something that are supposed to be attractive and we're supposed to take in. The light of Christ is what Jesus wants us to see here. His light. If in Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 and 23, remind us that the eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Jesus himself is that light. Jesus himself is that light that brings us spiritual health. Jesus is that light that directs us. So here's my question for us all. What is the light that guides you? What light are you following? Which light is illuminating your future? Which light is illuminating your present? Which light is illuminating the path that you're trying to follow? What is that light? Is this the true light of Christ himself? Or is it the light of your eyes, the light of darkness that the devil has caused to distort your vision? What is it? In other words, what is it that your eyes direct you toward? This is a good indicator of which light you're following. Which light is directing you toward things. If what you're walking toward is nothing more than confusion and distortion, then I'd say that the light in us is not light at all. But it's instead the darkness that only the light of Christ can eliminate. Now let's look here in verse 24. We're going to close with this quickly. No one can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money, or the King James says, God and mammon. What's he saying here? Jesus here, I think he returns to the previous idea in the lesson concerning our sin of covetousness in verse 19. Verse 24 here, I think, ties together verses 19 through 24 really well. It's rightly pointed out here that the heart, that we all, our hearts are all bound and fixed upon treasures. But here in verse 24, he's reminding us that the treasure that we hold dear is the treasure that we are devoted to. And you can only be fixed upon one treasure, just like the light of Christ can only point you in one direction. What is the treasure that we hoard up? What's, what specifically is the treasure that you hold so dearly? When Jesus points to the impossibility of the heart loving two masters, 
Here's the idea. The idea of master here is, is, is the Greek word kurios, which also is translated Lord. How many lords can we have? How many masters can we have? You can only have one. Whatever it is that we hold the most dear is that which we call master or lord. No one can love two loves at the same time. It's logically impossible. You can only devote yourself to one focus at a time. The the myth of multitasking is that. It is a myth. Don't let anybody tell you that they can multitask. It is a lie. They may think they're multitasking, but really they're not. You can literally only focus on one thing at a time. That's it. Likewise, you can only be serving one master, one Lord at a time. So is there only one Lord and one truth? God's people can say amen to that one. There's only one Lord. There is only one truth. What Lord is it that you are focused upon? What Lord is the light in your eyes directing you toward? What is it that you love today? What is it that, or who is it that you love today is a good question. I think this passage in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, I think rightly warns against a sin of greed and covetousness and what these things can wreak upon the soul. And I think this text here, verses 19 through 24, is not just directed to the rich. Even though he's he's talking directly to the Pharisees and those who love money, beginning in verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Whatever the light of your eyes points to, that will be your treasure. That's what you're going to hold dear. This is not just a sin of the rich and the wealthy. I mean, while I do observe that those with wealth, they serve themselves with pleasures all the time, I also observe those with no wealth, the working man, the working family trying to make ends meet. When we work paycheck to paycheck, I'm afraid that too many of us also seek to serve the God of money as well. We're trapped into this cultural mindset of we have to have X, Y, and Z. We have to have status. We have to have certain possessions. And if the wealthy people on TV show us how happy they are with all of their their wealth and their power and their prestige, why can't I have that too? And the common working person, the poor person, gets trapped in that and they're misguided in that allure, that light of shiny, glittery stuff. So when one is struggling to pay your monthly bills and you perceive other lifestyles as more attractive than your own, that's what social media does to us. We get drawn into the perfect lifestyle of those who are showing off their lives and we feel jealous, we feel less than, we feel broken, and we strive to be like them. I think the temptation here is to purchase things beyond our budget. But when we're only struggling to pay our monthly bills, we are tempted to buy things beyond our monthly budget to live beyond our means because the light of darkness is telling us we must. So credit cards and easy purchases 
are the easiest route, I think, to worshiping the God of money. And why do I say this? It's because the church as a whole is full of church members who can't pay tithe to the Lord because they're in such debt. Why are they in such debt? It's because the light of their eyes is the light of darkness, leading them down a path of distractions. What is it that Jesus is telling us here? If the light of your eye is healthy, then your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is full of darkness, oh, how dark that light is. You see the truth here that Jesus is trying to get us to see? What is it that our Lord wants for His children? What is it that our Lord wants us to learn from this passage here in verses 19 through 24 as a whole, last week and this week? I think the biggest takeaway here is to focus on the treasures of the heart. Only the illumination of Christ Himself through the Holy Spirit can reveal to us the true love of the heart. Do we love our possessions? Do we follow the light of darkness? Do we follow the light of Christ? And then do we follow the true light? If we're following the light of Christ, it's going to show us that the darkness that we're following is exactly that. It's darkness and destruction and confusion and chaos. And I think the true treasure that we'll find is the true treasure of heaven. (laughs) And that true treasure of heaven can only be found when the light of Christ illuminates our true path. Amen? So if we stumble in the darkness trying to find our way only to find ourselves never reaching a place of of joy in the Lord, never finding a place of true happiness in the Lord, I think that's a good sign that maybe we're following the wrong lights. And then perhaps our light is the misguided light that the devil himself is twisting. And that's the misguided light of sin and darkness. So I want us all to ponder here and ask the Lord through this text, Dear God, is, are my eyes healthy? Because if my eyes is the lamp of the body, that's a clear direction of our soul. Is our soul healthy? Is our soul following the true light of Christ? Or is our soul misguided and following something else? That's true darkness. Masquerading is light. The only truth that will ever be revealed in this is the truth that God Himself shows. So I pray that, I pray that maybe God is directing you today. He's directing me too in this. What is it, dear God, that I am following? Am I following the true light of Christ? Is Christ really shining out from me? Is He clearly directing my paths? Or am I stumbling in the dark and not even realizing it? Amen. Father God Almighty, we praise you and we thank you. It's during this time of year that we are reminded that we are living in darkness. And God, I I praise you for the gift that you've given us, this light of your Son, Jesus Christ. The truth of His salvation is the only truth that we can hold on to. And at this hour, at this moment, as we remember you and worship at this table together, we come together as your people, remembering in unison the sacrifice that was made for us on the cross and that light that enters this dark world at that time. Lord, thank you for allowing us to be a part of this light. I thank you that the light of your Son is 
able to come even into us through your grace alone. Forgive us, dear God, where we have failed you here. Forgive us, dear God, where we have followed a misdirected light that is true darkness instead. And I pray, God, that at this moment, anyone in this room who you need to kind of steer a little different direction, reminding them of where the true light is, Lord, let this time be for your glory in that. Cause us to remember the price paid for our sin. Cause us to remember our Lord's body broken and His blood spilled. Use this moment, Lord, we pray, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.